Happy July, everyone, and welcome back to another Six Rings and Football Things. Football, Patriots football, NFL football is right around the corner. Coaches are returning to Gillette Stadium. Rookies are about to report. And we go back to the offices of Gillette Stadium to bring back our friend Paul Perillo from Patriots Unfiltered, Patriots.com. Whatever the hell else he does, oh, he's got his. He's got his. If you're watching on the video, he's got his Patriots uh, Hall of Fame shirt on. So he's proud member of the group that continues to make sure Wes Welker, Bill Parcells, and others never have a shot at sniffing induction. He should be uh, quite, quite proud of himself. I'm Andy Hart. He is Paul Perillo. The boys are back together, and we're going to jump right into it. Paul Perillo, DeAndre Hopkins is a member of the Tennessee Titans. First word you would use to describe the way that DeAndre Hopkins courtship and signing elsewhere played out disappointing I, I thought um like everybody else right after minicamp when they had the meeting here uh, i thought there was momentum building toward uh a, a, a like a, a signing that was going to be imminent i i felt like i think it was a thursday andy when they had the meeting here at gillette stadium i felt friday morning when i woke up i was going to be reading on twitter that um you know he was signed sealed and delivered matthew judon taking the pictures with him in the locker room once that weekend came and went and nothing uh, happened, uh, I, I then sort of went my, my, my typical cynical New England way, and I, I grew concerned. I felt like if, if the offer was suitable for DeAndre Hopkins, he would have signed. Um, so I, I, I got concerned then. Um, now, to be honest, I kind of thought that Hopkins was holding out for a better team to maybe rise up a little bit closer, you know, bridge that gap a little bit, but doesn't seem like that ever developed. And, it's disappointing that a team like Tennessee, which I think is in a very similar spot as New England, you know, has a lot of questions, certainly not a uh, prohibitive playoff favorite by anybody. They're able to give you more money than, than the Patriots wanted to give that to me. Like the money that, that was reported to me uh, should not have been a deterrent to make this signing. So disappointment would be my one word. Okay. And you bring up the money um, and w you said the pay more than the Patriots wanted to give. I think that's quite clear. They could have given whatever the hell they wanted. They could have bested this offer. So why do we read the tea leaves? Why is DeAndre Hopkins not a member of the Patriots? I think we look at Bill Belichick clearly has some sort of affinity for the guy. Um, they clearly have a need at the position. They could He would be the number one wide receiver on this team. I don't care about his age or what you think he might have lost a step or whatever. I mean, the guy was one of the most productive per game players in the NFL at the position a year ago when he returned from suspension. So why did they not do I, I know you people and your radio station, you got to blame somebody. So you, mean you people, I, I, you know what I mean? Um, so I, do I blame Robert Kraft? Do I blame Bill Belichick? Is this a money thing? Is this just bill put a value on a player? Like he always has and always will. And I'm not going to budge from that. Is it PTSD at the position from the mishaps with you know, pass catchers named Nelson Aguilar and Jonu Smith and even going back to Antonio Brown and Mohamed Sanu and these guys, is he just not willing to go there for this guy? Well, I'm not sure it's as much about that latter part as the, the first part that you said about kind of setting his ways. And, and there were a couple of things that unfolded in this that can really concern me moving forward. And that is uh, in the immediate aftermath of the meeting, I, I I believe Adam Schefter on ESPN was talking about this on NFL Live. Um, and sort of the way he said it was, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but 
Uh, keep in mind that uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is set to make about $9 million this season. I think it's closer to 10 but whatever. And he's the highest paid receiver on the Patriots roster. And I took that as, and he didn't say it, but I took that as an inference that no one's going higher than him. And that's always the way Belichick has sort of set up his salary structure. Like he he has a, a number in mind and everybody makes less than, less than that. Otherwise, I think he looks at it and says, if I give more than that, then maybe, you know, this guy is upset or that guy is upset. Not shortly, uh, not long after that, uh, Devontae Parker, you know, he, he was, I don't know if you were with us the, the day at, tra- uh, at minicamp, Andy, when Parker was asked specifically about uh, DeAndre Hopkins. All of the other players that were asked about it were very enthusiastic in their responses, not Parker. And you can understand why. They're similar kind of skill sets and you know, I think a lot of people felt like if Hopkins came, it would be bad news for Parker, at the very least, for his role. If he stayed, his role may have been diminished. So then all of a sudden he gets an extension. So I wonder if maybe Belichick was thinking in terms of, well, I can't disrupt the the, the salary structure within that wide receiver room. That's very disappointing to me because I don't think anybody here would argue that Hopkins is not at a level significantly higher than any of the players that are on his current roster and and if you just want to look at it from a pure number perspective Juju Smith-Schuster signs for about eight and a half million on an average annual value Um, and he signs as a traditional unrestricted free agent right at the start of the new league year back in the middle of March if DeAndre Hopkins were were available in the middle of March he would have been the most highly one of the most highly sought after free agents on the market and he would have gotten a, a huge deal much bigger than this he still got an average annual value of 13 million, which is significantly higher than what your guy got at the start of free agency. So that's what the league thinks of him. They think of these two guys not really being all that comparable. So it's disappointing to me. I wonder if maybe Bill was thinking in terms of that kind of structure, which we know from from the past with Brady. Obviously, with Brady, it was easy to do because he was so much, you know, above and beyond anybody else on your roster. But I don't think you need to do that with a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster. And I wonder if it's just that's the way he does his economics and he's going to stick with it. Yeah, that's uh, that's unfortunate because I think you're right. I mean, if he's saying, well, this is the number we're putting at the top of the wide receiver depth chart and we're not going above it, I think immediate D-hop goes, well, then you got no shot of landing me because I'm above that. I'm better than all y'all in there, and you can right. do whatever you want with that information, doubt it, question it, whatever. Um, but let's rotate it forward, and it is with great hurt that I'm going to ask you this question because I'm quite sure you didn't see the headline or story I posted uh, earlier in the week, but I posted what I think you will do a good job of interpreting. My headline after D-Hop signed was post D-Hop Patriots have nothing but potential at wide receiver. And I think it's a headline that depending on your perspective can be read in multiple ways. And I kind of meant it in both ways, actually. I mean, I do think they have the optimistic reading of that headline, they have some potential. If you get the best out of the guys that are on the depth chart, I think you're good enough. If you get the best Devontae Parker, which is whatever, 1,400 yards or 1,200 yards, if you get the best of Juju Smith-Schuster, which is 1,200 yards, if you get the best of a second-round, second-year player in Tyquan Smith, who, I mean, Tyquan Thornton, who the is Tyquan Smith? (laughs) Uh, Tyquan Thornton, Like, that's a second-round pick who was the fastest guy at his position. There should be potential and upside there. Kendrick Bourne. But the flip side is, 
I think you have nothing but potential. I don't know what you can count on if you're Mac Jones, if you're Bill O'Brien, and say, this this guy I know does this no matter what the date, no matter what the defense, no matter what the corner. Which is closer, do you think, to reality? The optimistic reading of the potential at the position or the pessimistic, which would say, well, you're also like um, – couple pulled hammies away from having uh, Malik Cunningham as your number three receiver. Yeah. And that's where I land, you know, closer to the pessimistic side, but not necessarily because, but it's not, this is going to be different for you. You're going to be surprised. I'm going to, I'm going to surprise you. So I'm disappointed that they didn't sign Hopkins because I think that would have given them a number one receiver. However, I don't think that that would have just automatically lifted this offense to championship caliber and, and put them in the mix to really, change significantly their outlook this season. So I'm not like, you know, sort of devastated about this whole thing. However, I do think that they have more talent at these. What I'm really tired of, Andy, and you'll know that because I get a little bit defensive with the Mac Jones apologists, I'm a little tired of, you got to just find out about Mac Jones. They have players on the roster that are going to make it more than capable of finding out if Mac Jones can play. If Mac Jones can't find ways to complete passes to the guys that you just talked about that are, that have good, solid NFL backgrounds. They're not stars, okay? But those top three guys have all contributed in the NFL. Thornton we don't know about yet as the fourth guy. But the other three guys have had good seasons. There's no reason why Mac Jones can't make it work with what he has. Now, make it work, average 35 points a game and compete with Kansas City for one of the best offenses in football? Probably not, no. But there's enough here to be competitive. So I'm not necessarily pessimistic on what they have. I'm pessimistic on the injury history of what they have. And that's what would really worry me if I were Bill Belichick is, I think while you have a bunch of two slash three receivers and Bourne and Parker and, and Juju, I, I think they also all come with significant question marks. And, and Tyquan Thornton comes with a significant health question mark as well, being sort of banged up twice now in a year plus uh, as an NFL player. So if everybody were out there, if all four of those receivers are out there healthy and contributing, the two tight ends are healthy and contributing, and Ramondre Stevenson, I think you have a, a serviceable offense. I just – I would really worry about how many times you're going to have that core of skill guys healthy and productive. So I'm going to pull a uh, – and. We know Fred Kirsch would call him your guy. I'm going to pull a uh, Mike Felger. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to answer it before you get to, and then you can answer. That's the way the business does this these days. Um, he now who, calls them my shows, by the way. Your shows. Oh, your shows. Okay. My I don't shows. listen to your shows. Never. I'm responsible. Oh, I, yeah, your show is my shows, too. Oh, they're okay. all, they're my all shows. your shows. They're all my shows. The king of content, Paul Perillo. Um, so if I made you pick... Because you know my theory. There's number one receivers and there's receivers that end up as number ones and not even close to the same. Not even close. Um, Who ends up as the Patriots' number one receiver this year? Not running back, not pass catcher, not Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki. I am going to answer it with, and I'm probably too optimistic on this guy. Some of it is based on the way the last year plus has played out. Some of it is based on just... I don't know. I don't know what it's based on. I don't trust the other guys. Uh, Kendrick Bourne. I think Kendrick Bourne and what I saw in the spring to me looked like they have an intention to get the ball in Bourne's hands, maybe in some unique ways, maybe in some different ways, maybe in some of those optimistic 
poor man's Debo Samuel kind of ways. And I just look at the other guys. I don't trust their injury history. Like this whole Juju Smith-Schuster still dealing with a knee injury. And now it's like this grand, awesome thing that he's going to be ready to start camp. <laughs> well, no, 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 I don't feel great about that, that it's even a conversation at this point. So Kendrick Bourne, I think Kendrick Bourne is ready to be. Now, what that is, if that's like his first year and it's only, you know, 800 yards, I don't know. That may end up being your number one receiver. It wouldn't stun me, though, if Kendrick Bourne is a thousand yard receiver in Bill O'Brien's new offense. Agree? Disagree? Hate the idea? Yeah, I think you could make an argument for any of those three guys. Uh, I'm going to go with Juju just because I think he has the probably the most consistent track record of receptions. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I could I could definitely see it coming together for Bourne. What I worry about with with him is he just feels to me too erratic, um, you know, mentally, emotionally, off the field. And I think there are going to be times where that's going to come back and haunt him. We saw that last year a lot. You know, he would make a couple of catches here and then you'd be like, oh. This is what it looks like when Kendrick Bourne's involved in the offense. Then you'll go the next two games and not really even see him. So that would worry me about him. Obviously, the injuries would worry me about Parker and and Juju. But I think Juju is a guy that can be like Jacoby Myers. I think they're very similar players. I think Smith-Schuster is probably, I mean, definitely at his best, he's a better player than Myers. But I don't think he's been at his best since 2018. Last year, they had virtually identical numbers, and and I could see him. I could see him putting up numbers similar to that, you know, maybe 70 catches, you know, eight, eight or 900 yards. I don't think there's going to be a thousand yard receiver um, this year, but Juju would be my pick to be the number one receiver. Okay. As we uh, wrap up this first segment of a mid July, no Fitzy, no problem. Thank God he's on vacation edition (laughs) of six rings and football things with Paul Perillo. We're going to transition to a little running back talk, which is sort of tied into D hop that we just talked about because the other Marquee fun free agent that's out there, Dalvin Cook, has been, I guess, loosely tied to the Patriots. Now this week there was a, a swapping of the the numbers out of Vegas. The Patriots become the favorite to sign Dalvin Cook. You have Michael Lombardi, who's the fob of all fobs, and I'm not talking about starting your car, just bending over backwards to rip the Titans for signing D Hop in that situation, and. He's bent over backwards to say Dalvin Cook is the better fit for the Patriots. I don't I don't know that I really get that. Even though I see the lack of depth at running back, he would be your backup running back, in my opinion. Even though I, I think Ramondre is your ascending star. D Hop is, I mean, uh, Dalvin Cook is your descending, you know, is he getting old? How much does he have left talent from another team? Do you think Dalvin Cook is a possibility for the Patriots? Do you think he fits the need as much as Michael Lombardi seems to like, what, what's your take on this whole Dalvin cook, the Patriots are the favorite to sign him story. I, I do have a take. It's a little different than, than most. I think the whole Vegas odds for players. When was the last time you saw a significant player since these odds now have become a big thing that the Patriots weren't really high up on the list. Right. I think they completely cater to an area of the country that they know is so passionate about their sports teams and so passionate about betting that they, they go right into it and they just look at it and say, oh, oh they didn't get Hopkins? Well, let's just raise those numbers up for Cook. I, I, I never say 0.0. You know that. Almost never will I say never. This is as close to 0% for me. And you can have me on your podcast the next time, after after the day after Cook uh, signs, and you can say, you said never. To, like, I just don't see it. I think they do need a backup running back, Andy. I don't think Dalvin Cook 
thinks he's a backup running back, so I don't see him signing here as one. Um, I could see a Leonard Fournette, who the Patriots have kicked the tires on in the past, coming in for a couple of million and you know maybe serving that role. They definitely need somebody. I would like to see them in a perfect world just sort of rip the Band-Aid off and, and admit that this is a, a team that's sort of in transition. They're trying to rebuild to something. Find out what you have in Kevin Harris. Can he be your backup running back? And, you know, ride Stevenson. Let let Kevin Harris get the between-the-tackles backup role. Let Pierre Strong take the James White role. Ty Montgomery is still here to sort of fill in as needed as a depth guy in the backfield or in wide receiver. Just go with it. Like, stop trying to put Band-Aids on all of these things and, and plug the holes. I, I think that they need a young nucleus, Andy, to build around that they got through the draft, and then you have to figure out which ones of those guys you think are part of your core going forward. Kyle Duggar, Michael Owenu, whichever guys that you decide. And then two years from now, instead of having a, a team right now, they have nobody under contract really moving forward other than the draft picks. Two years from now, you have 10, 12, 15 guys that have been on your team for five plus years. And now you have something and see if you can move forward with that. I just do not see Cook. I, I think he's a great player. You know, I love him. I always have out of Florida State. I think he's a really solid running back. I don't see the Patriots being the ones to give him eight, nine, ten million dollars to come in and share time with Stevenson. They can't both play at the same time. To me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I love him. Um, I mean, I think if you sort of went in a certain direction, maybe you could talk yourself into it and you have the money, as we talked about, to sign pretty much anybody you want if you wanted to sign him and give him the money. And I am with you now. I don't know how much uh, they are in, because certainly this transitions to our next idea, general running back topic of what's going on. But, you know, they've done the draft running backs. They don't play or they play very little. And then the next year they evolve into roles. I don't know how comfortable, confident they are with Kevin Harris. They haven't done anything in pads yet. I thought he looked good in a non-padded environment. I mean, he's, he's a quadzilla-type power back who yeah. also I thought looked pretty quick. But that's in shorts. I used to look yep. quick in shorts, too. And then things change when you put pads on. You lose some okay. quickness. Happens. Um, Pierre Strong, I have no effing idea. I'll be honest with you. I don't. I would not trust him in your mentality to say, give him the third down roll. Wouldn't trust him. I think we're going to stink. I don't think he – I'm not sold that he's ready to do that. But I know Mike Reese had that report right out of college. Oh, this is the next James White. And Oh, no, 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 no. That wasn't his – that was not his background in college. He did not catch – No, I know. He but that was Mike Reese's report in college. This is something I think, like you said, Andy, the old sort of red shirt running back. That to me has not necessarily been a traditional running back. I think that we've seen Bill Belichick use Lawrence Maroney, Stephen Ridley, um, Sony Michelle right away as ball carriers. Mm -hmm. um, but where the, the red shirt comes is the Shane Vereen, the James White. You know, let's get them their feet wet. And I think Pierre Strong got that a little bit last year. So yeah, you're right. He did not have an extensive background as a, as a pass catcher in college. It's something he's developing. Um, and that's why I think it's, you know, a guy like Ty Montgomery being around sort of gives you some insurance there if it doesn't work out in, in that regard. But I, I just, Delvin Cook to me, that's a, that's a big ticket item that I don't think really helps you. And you want to transition into the bigger picture on the running backs it's unfortunate because I do think a lot of them are valuable, and especially the ones that can catch the ball the way like Austin Eckler can, Alvin Kamara, you know, obviously Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey probably at the top of that list. 
those guys provide a lot of value, but they also cannot possibly give you much in the way of certainty, you know, in their, their availability going forward. Barkley and McCaffrey miss as many games as they play. So how much are you going to be willing to pay for, for that? You know, like Fred brought up on our show yesterday, you know, what would you give for Saquon Barkley? And I said, nothing. And he laughed at me. I said, look, I, I, did, I think he's a terrific player, but if I'm going to give you a first-round pick for him or something significant, and then he plays five games, what do I get for that? And there's a good chance that that happens. So I, I feel for them. I think they're very talented guys. And I know, you're, you know, you're not that much younger than me. When we were growing up, Andy, you know, watching watching the NFL, you wanted to be the running back. You right. wanted to be number 32. You wanted to be Marcus Allen or whoever the, you know, the big running back was. Nowadays, it's the number one wide receiver or the quarterback. You know, it's right. one of those two. No one really wants to be the running back anymore. And I feel for them. I understand their plight, but I don't think it's going to go back anytime soon. And I feel for them too. And I don't know whether the word is sympathize, empathize, whatever, but they have to live in the real world and the market sets your value. And I've heard people even say like, oh, owners need to fix this. Owners are practically colluding against running backs. No, they're not. They're doing business. And I, the comparison I made is like teachers should be paid as much as Beyonce. Well, yes, in like this idealistic world, the people that are molding our future generations should be more highly valued. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. Like it, the, 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 the system in place decides what you make and teachers get what they get and superstar entertainers get what they get. And the NFL has gone in direction, as you said, it's a passing league. So the guys that and the passers and the pass catchers have been so protected that they are more surefire, secure assets to invest in. Like they are real estate. Running backs are crypto. Could I make a lot of money with the running backs? Absolutely. Could I lose it all overnight? Absolutely. And that's just the and they're also no offense. The good ones are good. Like there's certain elite ones, but you can find running backs that will. We've lived it for 20 years in New England where. Mike Cloud, Jonas Gray, Robbie Abdullah, you're lining up some running back behind a good quarterback who's throwing to Rob Gronkowski or Randy Moss. And that guy can do his job well enough for us to compete exactly. and win. And so I do. I feel for them. I don't think the only answer I think and the, the one thing I've and I've told you this for years, I've always valued, I think, first round running backs more than others because that's value. If you hit the first round running back, he's going to have a thousand yards as a rookie. He's probably going to have fifteen hundred yards in the second year. Right. Like you you now have the core of your offense for a five year span. And the way the freaking franchise tag has gone, make it a six or a seven year span by I'll just slap the tag on him. And I get seven years of a thousand yards a year. And then I go, Good luck. Tip my cap. Appreciate you. Love you. Yeah. Mean it. See you elsewhere. I totally agree with you. And I think that that's been a lot. That's gotten a lot of traction in the last 24 hours is the problem is with the CBA. I don't think, I mean, listen, there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of things that the players, didn't do themselves any favors on in the CBA, but I don't really think that this is a huge one. Like, should they make an exception for one position because the wear and tear at that position is greater? Right. I mean, I, it's part of the game. It's just, it's what you sign up for. And I think the key for your theory, if you're going to do the first round pick, you have to play the guy. You have right. to play oh, it yeah. right away. Um, and you have to get that, you know, th th that sort of production out of him. I disagree with you. We've had arguments about this going back forever. I would not use a, a first round pick on them. And I would I would sacrifice that one extra year that you get um, just because I, I think that they're they're easy to find. I think you can get 
the first round picks look, and I'm really, really going to be curious to see Gibbs and Robinson this year. Cause I think they're really intriguing talents. I, you know, I see it, um, see what they do. Are they going to be like Barkley and McCaffrey and, you know, flashes of brilliance, but durability concerns, or will they be more like Derrick Henry? And, you, you know, I know not, not the style, but constant year after year production. Cause Derrick Henry really, to me is the only one Andy who he gets hurt sometimes, but the production never wanes. Now, I think he's finally probably gotten to that point now, but this is a long, that's a long shelf life for a running back like that that's taken that amount of punishment. He is Paul Perillo, Patriots Unfiltered, Patriots.com. This is Six Rings and Football Things. And the takeaway from our first segment, Paul Perillo says 0.0 chance that betting favorite Dalvin Cook lands with the Patriots. I think I said 0.1. Okay, 0.1. He already beep. Beep, beep, backed it up a little bit to cover his big old white hairy ass. And uh, now we're going to transition. That was vulgar. I'm sorry. Transitioning to the second segment, six rings and football things mid-July. No Fitzy, no problem. Paul Perillo joins us. And we are going to talk about a big picture topic that has heated up of late as the temperatures outside have heated up and it's about seats sometimes you get a little swamp bum when you're outside this time of year because it's so hot and now there's questions about whether bill belichick's seat will be hot even in air-conditioned gillette stadium or his beautiful boat on nantucket tom curran went on the dan patrick podcast and said just that that he has i think various degrees of heat since 2019 you can look at all the obvious reasons paul like the the no playoff wins the no playoff appearances two losing records butting heads with Mac Jones, this ongoing tete-a-tete with Robert Kraft almost in recent years with little little statements they each make publicly that some people can read as a barb at the other. I'm just going to lay it out there. The year is 2023. Bill Belichick is four years removed from Tom Brady, and he has a losing record in that time frame since Brady left, 25 and 26 when you consider the postseason and he's 71 years old, and Gerard Mayo is here, was re-signed, and Gerard Mayo's boss, and I don't mean Bill Belichick, Gerard Mayo's boss, Robert Kraft, said, he's going to be a head coach. The only question is, will it be here? I mean, he, he tied it together very nicely. Is Bill Belichick on the hot seat? I really don't think he is. Oh, boo. I, I, I don't, I don't think guy. he is. And Get listen. a take artist on here. Yeah, and and I've listened to Tom talk about this, Tom Curran, um, and I think he he makes a lot of valid points. I don't I, like I wouldn't necessarily say when I'm listening to what he's saying, like oh he's way off. Um, the one area I would push back a little bit is the whole Mayo thing as the the successor. I am not anywhere near sold on the fact that we know right now who Bill Belichick's successor is. I know that seems to be a a line of thought that's gotten uh, to the point where. It's a, it, it will go back to my boy. It's a Felger fact. Felger says it mm-hmm. often enough, it becomes a fact. Um, I don't think it's it's accurate. But for me, it, it, I, I get what Robert Kraft has been doing in the offseason. He, he wants some more results. He wants improvement. I, I do think he's impatient. He's getting a little older, and he wants to get another crack at it. I get that. I just think it would have to be a complete and total train wreck for Belichick's job to be seriously in jeopardy this year. They go 7-10 and 10 or 8-9, and 9-8. Nine, nine and eight. Do you think he's going? I don't think there's any chance he would get, get fired if they went 8-9 and nine again. If they, they go like? if they go 4-13, and 13, 
now we're talking a different different story. I just think Robert is too conscious of the legacy of he was involved with Parcells leaving. He was involved with Brady leaving. Am I really going to be involved with Belichick leaving too? It's going to be my, like, people are going to look at this and say, I pushed that guy out the door too. I, I think he's going to be very cognizant of that fact and, and tread lightly. Uh, I, I think there's some impatience going on without question, but I don't think it's the seat is as hot as, as others make it out to be. So uh, first of all, a couple things, there's a car ad going around right now and I don't know who does it. So I'm not going to say the dealer, but they, their slogan is something to the effect of we don't sell cars. We help people buy them, right? They put a positive spin on a $50,000 purchase. And I think you can spin Robert like that. I didn't move on from Bill Belichick. I opened the door to the next generation of Patriots success. Like, like you could, you could manufacture it. And then you talked about, well, that's if it works. Well, yeah, he might be dead before we find out. What if it doesn't work? Well, he might then he's dead. the guy that pushed Belichick out the door for what? Then it's Jonathan's fault. <laughs> okay. Um, and then the other aspect you bring up is, and I find this, I overuse this word. We all do, but like fascinating. All seven and tens, all nines and eights, all 10 and sevens are not created equally, right? Like nobody knows that better than you. Why? Because of Drew Bledsoe. Because half seasons could be, Completely different. Drew Bledsoe was the MVP the first half of the season, and then he's throwing pick after pick. Like, things change throughout the course of a season. So if you tell me, oh, yeah, they're, they're 7 and 10, but Mac Jones is cooking in November and December, and they were actually, you know, 3 and 10 at one point, and they finish winning four in a row or something like, or the opposite. You know, Mac, bench, Mac Jones gets benched, Zappy's in there, they lose the final eight games of the season, like – players or you know controversy all kind I mean there can be so many aspects of that so I don't fixate necessarily on the record because I also think the record and they have started to pave the Red Sox way Robert has mentioned how good the division is how good the competition is and all of that you know if if they're a, a competitive last place team that doesn't have much dysfunction just flat out you know what we weren't good enough like we we only went one and five in the division but all the games were one score games and we didn't we didn't give up kickoff returns for touchdowns we didn't shoot ourselves in the foot we're not poorly cut whatever I don't have multiple players suspended at the end of the year or mfing the coach and doing this it's just a flat out we weren't good enough we'll be better next year we were a solid team I think he keeps his job but do I think there's ways where Robert Kraft said because the record ties in here too I hate the talk of the effing record it's the most uh, one of the other than the second apron in the NBA, it's one of the talking points I hate the least right now. Because I don't care about the record. And maybe, okay, let me ask, does Robert care about the record? How much importance does Robert Kraft put on the record? It's a good question, and I don't know. And you know how little real significant interaction we have here with, with Robert and Jonathan on a daily basis. He doesn't basis. come by and ask you to tell him something good? No, a little bit a little bit more often now because I'm downstairs. I, I do yeah. see him a little bit more often, but nothing where I would say, you know, Robert, like, Seriously, man to man, like, do you really, do you really care about this record? No, I, I don't know what he really thinks. Tell him Jumbo I, wants to know. I think, <laughs> I do think it's on his mind as, as part of something, but I don't think it's part, a big part of the decision making process. I think if, like, like you said, if it's dysfunction, multiple guys, you have multiple guys suspended again, and that kind of dysfunction, I think he'll go. I just don't see that kind of stuff happening. 
I thought you were getting at with the whole, you know, not all seven, eight win seasons are created equally. Like I would look at it like on paper right now, this looks like a pretty daunting schedule. Yes. Right. I think they have significant quarterbacks. Well, if what happened last year happens this year and they don't end up playing those quarterbacks and they play all the backups and they go and they still go seven and 10. Right. Well, that's, that's, that's a less impressive seven and 10. than you know, like, like, when you look at eight wins last year, and I think you you go back and seven of them were against backup quarterbacks. If that happens again, and all you do is beat backup court, you know, you beat Sam Ellinger again, you know, six times, then I think you got to start having a conversation. But if they went seven and 10 or eight and nine, and they had to play Josh Allen twice and Tua twice and Rogers twice and Mahomes and Herbert and whoever else, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts. And to your point, Specifically, how are they losing those games? Are they losing 38-34? Like, Mac is showing that he can get in a shootout suddenly. They just can't quite win enough of them. Then I think he would be fine. I think they can move forward that way and say, okay, we just we got to keep getting better. The quarterback is getting there. He's making progress. We see it. They never could get over 25 before. Now they're in the 30s consistently. we got to find a way to win those games now. You know, some of them. And, and if you go with seven and 10, you're winning some of those, you know, 35, 31 games, mm-hmm. where, whereas they haven't been able to do that. You know, can you get in a, a fourth quarter and come from behind? That to me is progress. They haven't been able to do that in two years. So I agree with your, your premise about don't tell me what the record is. Kind of tell me more about how that came about. And one last aspect here that I'm going to be honest with you. I pride myself in trying to look at things from multiple angles and not just falling into like, oh, I look at it from this angle. Um, and I never thought of this until Andy Gresh brought it up when I was doing the radio with him on WEEI this week. That's stunning. Uh, a little bit, a little bit, I'm a little, little ashamed. <laughs> um, yeah, he brought something up that you thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't a wham block or anything. I'm just kidding, Gresh. Um, Bill Belichick's contract. I have no idea what his contract is. And as Gresh said, if the rumor speculation are accurate and Bill Belichick makes 20 plus million dollars a year, as he said, it could be upwards of 30. Who knows? So let's just stop at 25. If Bill Belichick has four years remaining at $25 million a year, is Robert Kraft going to write a check for $100 million for Bill Belichick to go the hell away? No. Which tells me he doesn't have a four-year contract. I do not know what it is. I don't know what the term is. All colon. Belichick's contract shorter than you think. No, no, no. no. What I I think, and I have nothing to base this on. We've talked about this when you were still here. I know that you and I with Fred have talked about, we wouldn't be surprised if there's some kind of a uniqueness, unique quality to whatever the term is on his deal. Like on a certain date, they get together and decide, yeah, we're going to, push it another year out or something yep. like that, you know, kind of like the Wakefield thing at the end of the Red Sox. That's what I did. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something like that, but at the same time, because, you know, Robert and Jonathan are very smart businessmen and they don't tie themselves to that kind of long-term uncertainty where, uh, yeah, I can pay him 25 million a year because I have the best coach in football, but I don't know if that's going to be the case three years from now. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's, something that's more tenable for both sides. Um, but I don't know. And that, that is a, a good point because without knowing when that contract is up, I find it hard to believe that guys like Tom Curran are, so, are talking about this so emphatically that it's irrelevant because you're never going to fire him because of the money. Right. 
I find that hard to believe. So in this discussion I had with the uh, aforementioned Andy Gresh, and you took pot shots at him. Um, I love Gresh. You know that. I brought up an idea. This is total speculation. And I don't even know how plausible it is, ridiculous it is, but just take it for what it is. You and I have done this for 20 years where we just talk poop about the Patriots like, and throw stuff against the wall, and sometimes mm-hmm. it le- leads to fun discussions. Is it possible that three-plus years ago when Robert Kraft – hitched his wagon to Bill Belichick and said, okay, I'll let you make this decision. I'm betting on you. You're making me bet on you and I'm going to bet on you, but you got to bet on yourself. (laughs) And somewhere in there, the contract was altered or made to work like, but you're not hanging me over the barrel. I can get out when I need to get out or something. If I bet on you, you bet on your, you're telling me that I should stick with Bill Belichick. I'm going to do that, but you need to put your money where your mouth is. And that maybe something there would prevent Oh, a four-year, hundred million dollar contract where I'm stuck with you. Any a, idea? Could that be possible? I think it absolutely could be possible. I don't know if it is, but it could definitely because be. Because as you said, Robert and Jonathan Kraft win contracts, win deals, they're smarts, they have outs, they have options, they have they the they don't like tie their wrist together and like even to Bill Belichick, even to anyone. Right. Right. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a situation like that where the, you know it's you know, every year they sit down and they figure out, okay, yo, let's do it another year. You know, and I'm not saying that he's set up to be a lame duck at any point, you know, but they add a year. So there's two more years and then they add a year the next year. So it's two more year, whatever the case may be, something like that. Um, I do find it, I'll go back to your word, fascinating that we know so little about Bill Belichick's contract after all of these years. No one is really. I think Michael Smith, remember, you know, Michael Smith from the Globe and ESPN. We're going back 15 years or so at this point, had a a pretty definitive report about the state of Belichick's contract at that time. It's probably more than 15 years ago at this point. Yeah, I think so. I can't even remember another one that I can even point to. Just speculative. Just It's amazing that no one really knows for sure what his, especially the term. No one knows how many years are left on his contract. Right. And that's why my guess, and as you said, someone as um, tied into the organization as Tom Curran can openly at least ponder the idea that they could move on from him means they could move on from him, means yeah, their I, hands aren't. I, I think I agree because I don't think Tom's dumb. I don't think he's ill informed. I don't think any of that. I think he actually has pretty good information in that area. So I think the most likely situation is what we're talking about, like some sort of year to year or every two years, mutual options or the Wakefield, something of that nature. So uh, as fun as it is to talk about, because it's not our jobs, we're talking about other people being on the hot seats. Um, although you and I are kind of always on the hot seat, the way we've lived our uh, professional lives. Uh, he is Paul Perillo. I'm Andy Hart. This is Six Rings and Football Things. And we are now trending into a what I think will be an interesting discussion for our third and final segment of the latest edition here. And by the way, if you love the podcast, and I know you do because you've been listening lots, you've been loyal, subscribe, rate, review, download the Odyssey app. I know our bosses at the higher end love when people download the app and get their podcast that way, but keep listening however you want it, weei.com, Spotify, any of that. So training camp just around the corner, which means the season is just around the corner. So big picture topics are going to be a thing as we preview the 2023 Patriots. And we're going to start here optimistically, Paul Perillo, because Nothing says optimism like a podcast with Andy Hart and Paul Perillo. I mean, Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So I want you to give me, and we'll bounce back and forth here. We'll break it down a little bit, discuss it. I want to try to come up with five reasons 
that the New England Patriots will make the playoffs in 2023 and appease their owner and make all their fans happy again to play, well, I guess they always play January football, but real January football, playoff football. Give me reason number one the Patriots will make the playoffs after this season. I think you have to look at the improvement. Pause. <laughs> the, the improvement overall. Well, because I'm trying to make sure you, you you're looking for five. Ish. So, I know you told me. Let's be honest. You and I, we always pull back the curtain. <laughs> we break the fourth wall. I had I a hard time. Before we start the podcast, Paul's like, I had a hard time coming up with five reasons they're going to make the playoff. I did. <laughs> uh, I did. So um, you're going to have to give me a little leeway. My first one is going to be Bill O'Brien. Okay. Bill O'Brien's arrival. Nailed it. Sort of um, professionalizes the offense. Because <laughs> I don't think they had, I don't I think they had an, an NFL offense last year. Uh, in scheme and play calling. Um, and I think that they'll have those things this year. And I think that's where I'll start. Bill O'Brien's overall presence. I think we saw a little sign of that in the spring. I thought there was a tempo, not necessarily a great execution, but I, I thought there was a tempo and a rhythm to what they were trying to do. You could look at it and say, I see what they're doing. I see what they're trying to do. And you could also look at it and see Mac Jones saying, uh, I trust him. This feels normal. Mac Jones even having adjustments at the line to the point where he's not in and he's making adjustments at the line behind Bailey Zappi in this weird histrionic thing that I'm sure not sure I get, but whatever. At least he's doing it. Um, you're right. Execution at times sucked. Uh, the last day and a half of yeah. minicamp was borderline 2022-esque. Like it, it just looked like a poop show at times with the offense and Mac holding the ball, can't find receivers, balls batted, whatever. But I, I agree with you. The top reason, and you touched on it earlier, the schedules are very different. The years are very different. Like there's a lot of changes year to year and what they're going to have to accomplish. But if, if you put Bill O'Brien on last year's Patriots, is that not good for a game, two games? I, I mean, I don't know what the number is, but the competency, the professionalism, hell, just the um, the air, the mentality, because as we read in the, the Boston Herald, Karen Garigian and Andrew Callahan, like the dysfunction that went back to May, that was a mental anxiety that everybody in that unit dealt with. They will not deal with that this year. And, right. oh, by the way, he's shown the ability to take chicken you-know-what and make some chicken salad out of it with various quarterbacks, various receivers, various running backs throughout his career. So I think everybody would agree. I don't know. Like, that's certainly not a hot take. The hot take is, you know what? I don't think Bill O'Brien's going to work. The hot take would be, you know what? I think Matt Patricia was building something last year and got screwed. <laughs> and That's a scorcher. No one says that. So, okay, Bill O'Brien will make the Patriots better and theoretically and hopefully better enough to make the playoffs. Number two reason the Patriots will make the playoffs in 2023, Paul Perillo. Okay, I think you just sort of laid the groundwork for it. Mentally, that unlocks Mac Jones. So I think he's much more comfortable uh, and we see a little bit more of the stuff that we saw the first two, two and a half months of his rookie year, as opposed to what we saw the last half of his rookie year into last season, 2022. So I think that mental burden is gone. I don't think we'll see him yelling and screaming on the field at the sideline anywhere near as often as we saw it last year. Hopefully they don't have any delay of games to, to, to come, come around. But I think, that will allow him to play a little bit free and easy. And you made a, a really, really um, interesting point that I know a lot of people talk about with regard to the calls, the audibles and the, the line calls and the protection. That was an issue last year. Now, 
Was it an issue because of the way Patricia had it set up? Or was it an issue for Mac Jones? I think it was it was coaching. So I think that will improve him as well. So Mac Jones, much better with uh, a real NFL system. So that made number four on my list. Mac Jones returning to stability, development. I mean, I think you need to, A, first get back to 2021 Mac Jones and then evolve from there because I don't think 2021 Mac Jones will be good enough to get this team to the playoffs. You're going to need more than that. Um, but I, I agree 100%. Find out about Mac and if it's the good Mac and all. And this is, who was it? Uh, oh, Herb Street. You know, these people that are putting like all their stock in Mac Jones. He's going to be at a Pro Bowl level. Paul just rolled his eyes. I did. Um, and I agree. Um, the, the thing I I give uh, Kirk Herb Street credit for is I'm 1000% behind mac jones i don't think there's many people on the planet not named mac jones or his sophie or whatever the dog's name are that have said that there's some people that say like i think he could be good i think he could be good enough herb street went all in and i don't know what value there is in that but mac jones needs to be really good he needs to be a key factor my number two was the front seven on defense i think if this team is going to be a playoff team that means they're going to have to beat a lot of good offenses, a lot of good offenses right out the gates, and they're going to have to be the defense that people pretend they have been. They're going to have to be a top-five defense. They're going to have to make life really difficult on offenses. And I do think we talked about it earlier with the uh, receivers. If the upside potential is hit, I think the potential is, is there for this front seven to be pretty damn dominant. If Matthew Judon is the best Matthew Judon he can be, if Josh Uche is not a flash-in-the-pan second fiddle Robin on the other end, but an actual dynamic pass rusher who's coming into his own in a contract year, if Christian Barmore is the idea of Christian Barmore and not the guy that we've seen, and then you mix in all the other guy, Keon White, Dietrich Wise, if you get the best, Devon Godshaw is one of the best defensive linemen in football, somebody once told me. If you get the best of all of that, I think that defensive front has – the potential to make life hard on opposing quarterbacks and running backs and offensive lines. And I think they're going to have to do that if this team is going to be a playoff caliber team. Yeah. Um, so I didn't necessarily think of these in terms of one through five, but so just to play along, I'll, I'll use that as my number three then, um, you know, not necessarily the front seven, but just the overall experience level they have on defense. And one of the days at minicamp, we were listening to Jabril Peppers and he was sort of, I thought being a good teammate and sort of giving the offense a little bit of a break by explaining how we should be doing this because all of our guys are back. We're in the same system. We're all been playing together. We have so many of the 11, 12, 13, 15 players that are regularly rotating in on defense have at least two or three years, in some cases more, playing together. So that overall defensive experience – I've heard a lot of people call them a top five defense. I don't really push back on that. I, I, I think that that's uh, definitely a possibility. I think that they are a pretty good defense in this day and age. Um, I think Christian Gonzalez could be a, a real X factor in that. If he can be a rookie cornerback like Sauce Gardner and Tariq Woolen last year, stepping in immediately and being able to, I'm not going to say dominate, but hold his own against that laundry list of top flight receivers, they can be a playoff team. I think defensively, if they can, instead of giving up 35, it's only 27, 28. 
I think you can you can be a playoff team that way. And and I think that they might have the potential to do that. Yeah. Um I liked what Peppers said. I think the way people ran with it and talked, you know, we got a bunch of unicorns. Oh, position, and, positionless defense. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not they, I'm not into any of that. I mean, they have versatile players. And I do think like Mac, I think Mac talked about this couple of years ago or one of the quarterbacks did maybe it was cam newton talking about like you do see some guys and you don't you're not really sure kind of what position what role that guy is playing and i do think they're going to be able to do that i think you have and certainly the addition of guys like mapu to the mix help that the linebacker safety blend and, and everything that goes into that and that was actually my next thing i think if they're going to be good i think the safety position has to dominate i think the safety position with your guy, Jabril Peppers, who we all fell in love with last year because he plays 1972 football and tries to take everybody's head off anytime they're anywhere near him. But him, Kyle Duggar in a contract year, you know, I don't want to be negative about Kyle Duggar, but I still don't believe the production of Kyle Duggar has matched the athleticism and the perceived potential we all have for him. Like, remember, like, he's Jamal Adams. He's an all-pro safety. He's not an all-pro safety. He's a, a good safety. I'd like to see him become an all-pro caliber safety and really change games regularly. And Adrian Phillips, I think we all like. Now he might be starting to trend toward the backside of things. Um, but even Jalen Mills, if he's allowed, he talked about it, Jalen Mills, that being in the middle of the field, a chance to make more plays and be around the football more. And, and I don't know if that will actually play out and lead to the, the success that he probably envisions for himself. But I think that position, because linebacker is kind of a questionable position. I think cornerback, as you mentioned, could be boom or bust position. Safety, the defensive front and safety, to me, need to be the foundations of the defense. And I know you lose Devin McCourty, and that's concerning. And maybe you're putting more similar guys on the field that you don't have a true free safety. And, you know, could Duggar and Mapu get toasted deep and not really be middle of the field kind of guys. But I think if they're going to reach their best on defense – which means they need that to reach their best as a team. The safety position is going to have to be really, really good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that really is uh, sums it up because I think that's a position that they invested in, they have depth in, they have versatility in, and if it doesn't pan out, and all of a sudden we're five weeks in saying, "Who's the Devin McCourty? Which one is the guy that's playing that Devin McCourty role to make sure?" It, everybody's lined up properly, making sure nothing gets over the top. And we're going to be wondering, you know, what do we need four or five safeties for if we don't have one? Now, I do think Jalen Mills is the one guy that you mentioned there that I think could factor into that kind of role. So I like that. I'm going to go my next one. I'm going to put it old school here and ruffle the feathers of guys like Teddy Bruschi and William McGinnis and Ted Johnson and a lot of other former Patriots. Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is – Backed into a corner, some people, we already talked about this earlier in the podcast, think his seat is quite warm. Um, I think he responds to that. Uh, and, I, and I think that maybe he has a little something left to say. I do strongly believe in Bill Belichick, the game planner, and the football acumen guy. I still strongly believe in, in that ability. And I think that he might give them an edge in some of these games. Uh, over the guys that he's coaching against. Um, not telling you he has an edge every single game, but I think most weeks he does. And I think if if Bill is on it and back to his, you know, get, maybe he adds a, 
a mile or two back to that fastball and he's got a little bit of a resurgence, they can be a playoff team. I'll buy it because wow. Um no, I, I, I will have to sell you on that one. No, not really, because I think the structure that's in place is more um, allowing for that this year. And what I mean by that is we started with Bill O'Brien. So I don't think Bill Belichick has to wake up at 4.30 on Monday morning and be like, what the hell are we going to do on offense this week? He goes, Bill, everything going well? We good? Right? That. So, And then he goes, hey, Steve. Hey, uh, Gerard. Uh, let's talk about a couple of those injuries adjustments, but you guys, you're getting ready for Rogers, right? You know, Joe, Cam, you guys, I think he can pick his spots. I think the last couple of years, there's been times where he had to do things and that takes away from his ability to just sit back, be a genius, be a guy that can look for matchups, adjustments, changes anywhere, special teams, offense, defense. So I do think the structure that's in place should allow for him to pick his spots. And I think, you know, we talk about diminishing returns with players like, you know, a third down back. He's a really good third down back. If your lead back gets hurt and now you need him to carry the whole load, diminishing returns like Kevin Falk or somebody, diminishing returns. Yeah, I think Bill was spread thin. You can, however you want to already wears all the hats the last couple of years. I think the opportunities will present themselves for him to be more impactful in a lesser role, if that makes sense. And I think that could be the, you're right. That could be the difference in a tight matchup against one of these division foes where theoretically you have the coaching advantage. I still think he's the better coach compared to McDermott or compared to Sala or compared to McDaniel. So you steal one of those. That might be the difference between nine and eight and 10 and seven and making the playoffs. So I love that one. All right. And then the last one for me is a uh, Mike Mayock tied for twofer where I'm going to slide two into this. One, somebody just like, somebody or some duo breaks out offensively. I don't think you can just say, we are just a committee offense. I, every single guy contributes his 500 yards over the course of the season, and we're going to be a very good offense. I think that's really really hard to do, puts even more pressure on Mac Jones and Bill O'Brien and all of that. So I think we're going to need to put it in like TV terms. Come November, when they play a key game, somebody will be doing a feature with somebody like sitting down, you know, how did it all come together? Kendrick Bourne, like you've had your ups and downs through six years or whatever, or Mike Kosicki, maybe he's as good as these people think he's going to be. I think you need that. I think you need a either bounce back or breakout star other than Mac Jones. And it could even be Ramondre. If Ramondre takes his game, you know, year one is 600 yards to 1,400 yards from scrimmage. If he goes 2,000-plus yards from scrimmage, well, you just became a superstar running back. Sorry, you won't get paid for it in a couple of years, but you just became a superstar running back. I think you need something to break out in that area. And then the other one is, this is a terrible one. Somewhere Eric Scalavino will like it, though. And people are like, who's Eric Scalavino? Google it. I'm not going to tell you. Um, <laughs> but you got the potential to have a rookie punter and a rookie kicker, right? They can't look like rookies. They have to look like they're upside. They, we can't be waiting for the year two jump if you go with Beringer and Ryland. I've seen good things from them. They both have strong legs. They both have the ability to do the job. But rookie specialists are uh, – that's a that can be a problem for a team that is probably going to be one game from missing the playoffs or one game from making the playoffs when the, the end. So I think your rookies 
are going to, at the specialist positions, are going to need to not look like rookies. We're going to have to talk about, holy crap, that 57-yard field goal that Ryland hit to win that game, that's why they made the playoffs, right? I think you're going to need some of that. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. Um, Why you got to say kind of? Just say, I like that. You're really smart, Andy. You're awesome. You might hear about that one a little bit later in the program. Uh, oh. I am going to finish with, and I, I kind of I kind of like your, um, you had the Patriots.com answer, like a duo is going to emerge and, you know, one that we're not going to talk about. I'm going to go with more of the talk radio snark. It just doesn't work out for some of these teams. Injuries hit, you know, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is done. Uh, you know, you get a couple of those kinds of things happen around the league, and uh, that's how the Patriots can slide into the playoffs. I, you know, right now the schedule, like we talked about, looks really daunting, but maybe it's not as daunting if you only face Tua on week two, and then he doesn't play the last 11 weeks because he had a concussion. And Aaron Rodgers just doesn't work out with the Jets. So those are two teams that right now you feel like we have to try to climb to face the, to, to get on top of them. Well, now all of a sudden you're second. Um, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't work out one of these other places. It looks like Jacksonville. And, How about and, Jeff Diggs goes to Thailand in November and says, F you, I don't play no more. Well, out of all the things that people want to say about the Jets, the thing I would worry most about if I were an AFC East fan that, that's rooting against the Patriots would be Buffalo's internal problems. Mm-hmm. Because that, to me, can destroy a team better than any. Injuries obviously affect everybody. But if you have internal problems, that's hard to overcome. So, yeah, that that kind of stuff. Just good fortune, for lack of good a better fortune word. Good fortune or misfortune for the foes. Yeah. All right, so let's now flip it on the ear. And I know this is a part of the podcast Paul Perillo will really enjoy and embrace. Five reasons the Patriots will not make the playoffs in 2023 as they didn't make the playoffs a year ago. Okay, so um, it's going to be some similarities here, but Mac Jones. <laughs> like, Mac Jones just doesn't take that step forward. He's not the kind of quarterback that lifts others around him. Um, if you have a lot of talent around him with a great scheme and a great defense and a great running game, he can be fine. But if you need him to get in a shootout in the fourth quarter, come from behind, um, you know, find a way to – to make Kendrick Bourne uh, go from a six or seven hundred guy to a twelve hundred guy, he's not the guy. At the at this time next year, when we're doing the podcast, we're saying, "Well, this is Mac Jones's last year here. They're gonna have to figure out where they're going after this. They won't make the playoffs. If we have uncertainty going into the offseason, they won't make the playoffs." That is correct, and I think everybody, like Bill O'Brien on the pro side, would have. Mac not good enough on the reason why they don't make the playoffs. Um, I had him a couple down on my list that I just banged out. Um, let me ask you a quick side question that ties into this a little bit. But if I were to say Paul Perillo, very quickly, within three seconds, I need your first reaction answer. Surprise cut for the Patriots this summer would be? Adrian Phillips. Oh, Jesus. I don't like that one. That was a real surprise. I didn't see that coming at all. I don't care for it. Um Okay, so my answer to that question, which ties into my... I have a few other options. Lawrence Guy? Uh, That one would be less of a surprise. Patrick Bourne? I don't like that one at all. I just said he was going to be the breakout receiver if you listen to 40 minutes There's surprises, Andy. We've gone over this. Uh, If we thought they were going to happen, they wouldn't be surprises. I know. I've talked about it. Uh, Mine would be Trent Brown because you can save some money, and I don't know where Trent Brown is mentally, physically, emotionally, anything. That said... I think the reason, number one, where the Patriots could miss the playoffs 
is the tackle position. I think it's a, a potential debacle. That was my number happen. two. Absolutely. 100% cosign. And and Trent Brown, I know everybody's icky balooky excited because he went to the gym twice before training camp started. Um, whatever. Okay, good. Um, I, I think there's... All started running during COVID. <laughs> um, and if he is not at least com- hell if he's not at least penciled in as your left tackle then I, like that position could be horrific you get calvin anderson riley reef who hell he could add the list of guys that retire in the middle of camp and say i can't do this anymore because somebody might let him know that he came here to chase a ring and you're not really chasing a ring this year in new england um I know Cole Mc, uh, Connor McDermott was, thank God we have him last year. I don't know if you want to start a season with. Like, I just think we've seen offensive lines can derail good quarterbacks. And now we're saying a guy you think is the key to the season and is, like, at a career crossroads. I know everybody likes to believe, like, no excuses, Mac. There's no more excuses. You got what you need. Go prove it. I'm not sure he has what he needs at the tackle position. And you face some pretty good defenses. You face some pretty good pass rushers that, I mean, when's Micah Parsons coming? Week three, week four. Um, you know, the obviously the, the New York Jets have a good defense, a good front, a good pass rush. Like, life could be difficult on Mac Jones. So I think the tackle position, I like to use the phrase house of cards. You know that. I'm not sure it's even a house of cards yet. I'm not sure which cards are standing up in the wind. Yeah, I, I totally agree on the offensive line. It's a problem. I think the tackle position – and. I, I actually think I, I didn't say Trent Brown uh, you know, as a cut candidate because I I don't really think that would be a huge surprise um, if he's not on if he's not on board. No, you you've seen it. that's why I put Kendrick Bourne in there, Andy. Like it's not about ability; it's more about you, availability. Yeah, are you with us? Right. Are you on board? Are you you one of us, or are you just like off on your own island? You know, are you going to be is 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 Trent Brown going to be tweeting from Green Bay? Can't wait to go home. You know, like he did last year, you know, in Vegas or whatever. So I, I think that's a really strong one, the offensive line. No question. Tackle right. specifically. So what do you got next? Uh, I'm going to go with the the schedule. It's just I, I don't like to play the paper schedule game. I mean, we all do it. We all have fun with it. But yeah. I think it's legit this year. I mean, I think this is – I think there are three games right now in Vegas that the Patriots are favored in. Washington, Indianapolis, and somebody else. Uh, I, I forget. I forget the third one. I don't even. I don't even have my magnet up here. I can't even look. Jesus. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll figure that out. But anyway, higher planning prevents piss poor performance with Paul Perillo. It's the you, APs. You got clusters of games that are going to be really tough to deal with. You know, starting right off with the first four. Um, Wait, that's not know. an extension of the preseason. No, it, it better not be this year. Are you going to be zero four? Exactly. Um, so I think that's going to, I think you could have some improvement overall. I think you could show some really positive signs and still have a hard time making the playoffs because you play enough teams that are just flat out better than you competition. That was, uh, the third one on my list as well. It's a tough schedule and you're right. Maybe a couple teams won't be as good as we think. Oh, by the way, a couple teams that we think may not be great, might be better. I would put the Denver Broncos in that category, new coach, refocused quarterback. So Almost no matter how you look at it, it's a significantly more challenging schedule than a year ago. And that's that's a reality. I mean, it's a reality the Red Sox have faced. I've made the comparison all year. Do I believe the Red Sox are a better team this year? Bleep yeah, they are. They're a better team. And it took until two days ago for them to get out of last place in the AL East, right? So, like, 
you can be good, but if all the other teams you play or ahead of you in the in the division are better, you don't make the playoffs. And that gets back to our whole, what the season look like? What are you feeling at the end of the year? Optimism, pessimism, all of that. If you just come up a little bit short to a really competitive schedule, that may be a positive season. That may be yeah. an advancement in whatever this process is. Um, my next one, I actually had it number two on my list after okay. tackle. Um, the uncertainty and youthfulness of the cornerback position because that was number four. A nice secondary like minds. Um, if you, we just talked about the schedule, the quarterbacks right out the gates, the offenses that also include includes challenging number one targets, weapons. And as much as I think we all love the Christian Gonzalez pick, and we're all hopeful that he's the next great cornerback in new England, and Sauce Gardner and other guys have proven in recent years, Patrick Sertant, you can come right in and be a really good corner right away. I don't know if that's seven on seven, just like the receivers and the evolution of football, whatever it is, you don't necessarily need to you know, work out the kinks. You can be a good corner. So maybe he is because he's being put in the number one left corner. He's our guy's spot. I don't mean to be a pessimist, but what if he looks like a rookie? What if he's getting toasted? There's not a lot of depth. There's not a lot of options. And, oh, by the way, your number two corner, who says he's not Ja Morant, I agree with him. Ja Morant was not as dumb as you. Ja Morant didn't show up at a freaking security checkpoint with guns. He was just taking stupid modern social media photos and pics and stuff with it. So if Jack Jones goes to the pokey, as one of our uh, former PFW <laughs> listeners used to say, and Christian Gonzalez isn't that good, I think you are up, and I'm allowed to say this because it was a TV show, Shits Creek without a paddle at the cornerback position against massive challenges every single week at quarterback and wide receiver. Yeah, I won't go much more into depth than that. I totally agree. I think the Jack Jones situation is certainly hanging over that secondary. I think that puts Jonathan Jones probably back on the outside. Uh, maybe it puts Marcus Jones into a more prominent role in the slot. I don't know if that's great. Miles Bryant factors into the, the equation in that. I think the secondary could be very tenuous. Even if Gonzalez pans out, I think you could be in trouble in, in the secondary. Uh, if, if Gonzalez isn't one of those young, uh, immediate impact cornerbacks, then I think that could be a real weakness. Okay, I know this is going to be a challenge for you, but do you have any more reasons why the Patriots won't make yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I would sort of look at it as kind of I'll, – I'll, I'll bunch this into one. I'll say they just, don't, they just won't have enough offense – to compete with the quarterbacks they're going to play. Like, I think you could be enough offense maybe last year um, when you didn't have to get into enough of those shootouts. You know, in the if you could get to the mid-20s, you had a chance to win every game. I think it's going to be probably a little bit more than that this year. So I, I, I'm not convinced that the offense is going to be improved enough to compete with the quarterbacks they're going to have to play. I think I think they saw somewhere it was like 11 legitimate quarterbacks they'll, they'll have to face. On, on the roster this year, that's a lot. It is a lot. And that's why my last one was weapons. Same sort of thing. The overall offense, the firepower. Um, we talked about it. I think the way they're approaching it with Tom Brady, I think these weapons would be fine. Veteran quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, weapons would be fine. But you don't have that. You have a guy that's still trying to find his way and what he is, and there's pressure and stress. Like, I just, you don't have a go-to guy. And you and I have joked about this for years. Practice field. The hell, they're in shorts and T-shirts, and there's been two incompletions in a row. Brady's going to Edelman here, just an FYI. Shallow and Brady cross. goes to Edelman. Shallow cross to right. Edelman. And what was it? Complete. 
right. changes so, the, the So we don't motion. get three incompletions in a row. You exhale that whole thing. Or, you know, the classic examples, games on the line. He's just going to throw it up to Gronk here. <laughs> and Gronk catches it. Even when Gronk was a shell of himself, Gronk catches it to win a title game, to win a Super Bowl. I don't think that luxury is there for, I mean, Devontae Parker can tell me he's 80-20 on, on jump balls. He's not. Um, you can tell me that Mike Kosicki is a unicorn weapon. He's not. These guys are all complementary weapons right now. Maybe, again, one breaks out and I talk about him differently. But if that's the case, if they play to the sort of average nature of their resumes, number 10 is just – there's a lot of pressure there. And that's that's a hard way to play in the National Football League against good teams, good defenses. And as you said, not just good defenses, but good offenses. There's that pressure – can't punt here can't like if we if we have a couple drives all of a sudden okay we punted oh Patrick Mahomes didn't that's seven oh we punted Patrick Mahomes didn't that's 14 now I'm chasing and and I'm not built for that I'm not good enough for like that's that's a lot of pressure so if you know the weapons just might not be there yeah I I think that that's you know absolutely the the be all end all is do they have enough offense and one last thing I'll throw out there just because you I didn't think of it and I didn't have it written down, but you put it in your reasons they could make the playoffs. Same thing with the rookie specialists. Maybe they're just not ready. You need those field goals. You can't afford to pass up points when you're in scoring position. So, you know, maybe Chad Ryland, who I, I totally agree with you, definitely looked the part in that little snapshot that we saw in the spring. Maybe he's a little erratic to start his career, misses a, a, a big field goal or two. Those can be really crippling to a team trying to get over the hump. So there you have it as Bill Belichick makes the uh, journey back from Nantucket and all the coaches return to Gillette Stadium and the rookies report and the veterans report. And reporters will report next week, midweek, from the practice fields behind Gillette Stadium. We gave you five reasons the Patriots will make the playoffs. We gave you five-plus reasons why the Patriots won't make the you playoffs. You gave us six reasons why they will make the playoffs. We gave you six why they won't. Let's go. Give you a little extra on both sides. So if you average those all together... I don't know. We'll probably have to watch the season and see what happens because who knows. Sounds like how they- wins. <laughs> right. And uh, we'll see. But it should be a fun football season. I hope this was a fun podcast here on the Six Rings and Football Things feed. For Paul Perillo, I'm Andy Hart. For producer Justin Turpin and for that lazy SOB Fitzy who's having an IPA on a beach somewhere, we will be back soon with another preview podcast where I think old friend Mike Giardi will join us. And then, as I said, we are days away from daily podcast practice reviews soon it'll be joint practices preseason games and as much as i hate to say it because as somebody who loves a miller light on the boat in august summer is just about over fall is in tree is is upon us football is upon us paul perillo thanks again for joining us anytime as you know six rings and football things peace out